you know, with growth comes growing pains. When you're growing, it's painful. This is Growing Pains with Annie. I'm excited to, you know, grow with you guys. Hi, everybody. This week is going to be different. This podcast is going to be a unique one. It's just going to be me speaking and the only people in the studio are me and John. He's just going to listen to this and thank you for being here, John. Um, emotional support. I realized over the past couple of episodes as we're filming this first season or recording, I should say, this first season of the podcast that there's a name that keeps coming up and that name is Andrew. I realized that it's going to be a name that keeps coming up and to just talk about him every single episode and break into every episode, every single conversation to explain who he is. There's just not enough time in the world to tr- to truly grasp who he was and who he is. But I figured that I would record an episode so that you guys can really understand why this name keeps coming up. Andrew was my best friend. And unfortunately, he passed away this past September in September of 2019. I'm recording this episode um, the Sunday after his one year of passing. And a lot has happened. A lot has gone through. And I've been thinking about his journey a lot. And I wanted to dedicate a whole episode to him. Because, you know, this whole show is dedicated to this idea of growing and I grew so much because of him. If you haven't listened to my other episodes yet, I encourage you to because you'll first of all you'll hear his name pop up a couple times but also he impacted so many lives and I've been able to really have this heart for growth and seeing these stories come to fruition in different people's lives really because of him in his story. And so I've decided that I'm going to tell our story together in our life. Um, I'm going to link an episode to a different podcast in which he told his own journey because I couldn't do it as well as he does. So if you want to listen to fully his story, I encourage you to look at the link in my bio here um, on my Instagram. We'll link it and to this episode, we'll link it that way that you can go and listen to him tell his story himself. But Andrew and I, Andrew and I met in the sixth grade. I know, long time ago. (laughs) And in grade, we started dating, which, you know, middle school relationships. How long do those last? Well, it lasted about a year and a half. (laughs) And because of that, he started hanging out with my friend group. And from that, it was kind of history wrote itself. Andrew became this vital part of my group of friends. Even after we broke up, I, I not it's not even arguable, it's just facts that we became way closer after we broke up than we ever were dating. Mainly because, you know, we were in seventh grade. Like, how well do you even know yourself in seventh grade? But Andrew became just this vital part of my life. Our friend group's unique. Uh, there was about 10 of us and we were very tight knit. And Andrew was one of the hearts of it. <laughs> he, the only way to describe him is really just joy. I was able to see him really grow up. And I have been able to experience so many firsts with him. Uh, He was my first kiss, my first date, my first boy I held hands with. He was the first person I ever felt love for outside of my family and true, genuine love. And I remember it because I was standing looking at him our sophomore year of high school, and we were talking, and I had gone to his house, and I was just looking at him, and I I just went, man, I don't know if I want to kiss him or hug him and never let him go. But either way, I know for a fact that I love him. And as I'm thinking this, he just hawks a giant loogie and he goes, sorry, my, my spit glands are really active. And I automatically went, mm, hug him, hug him. That's, that's the one. But Andrew and I, man, 
we were close friends all through high school. And he went away for college. He went up to Laverne. He was one of our only friends who really did go away. And I mean, go away. He was like two hours away. It wasn't really that away. But in college, he found himself. It really felt that way. He had found this group of friends. I had the honor actually yesterday to go over to his house. His family had had a get together on his behalf um, to kind of celebrate the one year. They got together all of his friends, the close-knit friends from the small town we're from, and then his friends from college. And it was just crazy to see how many people loved him. He really touched the lives of so many. And it was just heartwarming. I mean, I loved him so much, and there's no doubt about that. And that's why I'm recording a podcast about him. And that's why, you know, I had this amazing life with him and experiences with him. But to see other people that love someone just as much as you do is also so heartwarming and crazy. Because all you want is that person to get love. Uh, You know, when you love someone, you just want everyone to see what you see in them. And to know that other people did see exactly what I saw in him just was amazing. And to see that there is this group of people, even a year after he's passed away, that are still willing to be present and in his life, even though he's not here the way he used to be, was so encouraging. And so I really wanted to record this today as I'm still feeling all those feelings and it's also fresh. Andrew R., mm, it was 2017, and he had been away at college, and he came home for Christmas break. Andrew did swim and dive his basically his whole life. He had quit in middle school because he was sick of it. And he was he he could have been in the Olympics. He was that good. Um, His coach, when he was growing up, really was upset when he quit because he really did have, you know, these goals for Andrew that he could have met because Andrew was good at everything. Truly, like he was so smart and he was and he like just was so naturally gifted when it came to, you know, swim and dive and he made friends easily. And it just these things are, you know, he always had the best handwriting and it was just like so annoying because it was like, any, you know, we tried to do anything and Andrew's like, oh yeah, I can do backflip and I can do this. Um, but so in college, he got back here in high school, he did swim and dive and, you know, was amazing at it and just naturally gifted. He'd never even really had to try. He didn't have to try to practice. He just was he was just good and so in college he had always said that I'm not going to do it I'm not going to do it I don't want to do it in college I'm not going to do swim and dive like I just want to like live my life I don't want to do sports and then the little pride monster in him because he he could be very prideful at times uh, realized that he could just break the school records you know he like looked at them and was like well I mean I can do better than that and so he ended up going on the swim and dive team And that's really where he found his people. But that's also where he found out that his knee started hurting. And he thought that, you know, oh, I twisted my knee and dive and, oh, I landed wrong or something. And so he started wearing this brace. And he would text me about it of like, oh, yeah, my knee hurts. And I go, oh, that sucks. You know, ice it. (laughs) My medical, in my medical opinion, you should put ice on it. (laughs) And... It got worse and worse, and it was hard to walk. And he finally went to the doctor at school, and they took an x-ray. And then he came home for winter break. And I remember him sitting with me, and we were talking, and he's complaining about his knee. And he said, well, the x-ray showed these weird dots, and it looks like something's eating my my kneecap. And I went, uh-huh, mm-hmm. And he goes, yeah. And he's explaining all these different possibilities of what it could be. And then he has, I mean, it could be cancer. And I just want to point this out. He was so dramatic. Like, he was just one of the most dramatic people in the world. Like, truly, so dramatic. So when he says it might be cancer, I, of course, am like, oh, my gosh, stop being dramatic. I rolled my eyes and I was like, Andrew, it's not cancer. Get over yourself. You're fine. Come on. I was like, I think it would be some bone eating, you know, enigma, 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 enigma before it's 
cancer. Um, well, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> he got the news that winter break that it was cancer. And he sat our friends down. We were going to go get breakfast at a local spot and he had us come over. And he sat us down and he told us, he goes, I went to the doctor and they did test. And it turns out I have cancer, a bone cancer, a rare bone cancer called osteosarcoma. And I remember sitting there and not being worried at all. And I said, okay, you know, Andrew, we're all in this together, like high school musical, you know? And I just looked at him and I go, we're going to fight it and we're going to win and it's going to be fine. And that was the attitude we all had. And that's what happened. Now, of all of 2018, he battled cancer. He was in and out of the hospital. Um, at the time, I was working two jobs and going to school and volunteering. And one of my jobs was an unpaid internship. And I ended up quitting so I could spend more time with him in the hospital. And that was the best decision I ever made. Uh, I would go back and forth from school, church, hospital. And I, he and I would always say that we are destined to be friends. That even though cancer sucks, it really is what brought us together. You know, he and I had always been close. I'd always loved him. But that time in the hospital is what really concreted our friendship. And I think it was kind of one of those moments is those, you know, the circumstances in life that you hit where it's either you can step up or step out. And he understood either way. He knew that cancer was hard. He knew that it's not something that people can really step into, that it's a lot of pressure for loved ones to figure out how to love someone with cancer and what that looks like. And he understood every friend that couldn't be there for him all the time. But I just couldn't do that. I had to. And so I stepped up. I would spend hours with him in the hospital. There was one time where I had the honor of spending the night in the hospital with him. And I think the thing you don't realize is when people battle cancer, it's not just an internal battle. It's so physical and mental and emotional. And I never really got that until then. I mean, he barely got to sleep at night when he was in the hospital because he would get poked and prodded and, you know, the IV bags changed or your pick line or, you know, all these things that he had to become an expert in cancer in. Because, you know, that was a part of his life now. And like I said, Andrew's so smart that he caught on to everything so quickly. He, he practically had like a mini med school in the hospital with all of this. And the thing that was so crazy to see and so amazing is because of his age, because he got cancer and got, you know, admitted at 19, he wasn't able to um, go to children's hospital. He was in, you know, the normal adult hospital, I guess, the normal hospital. I guess it's an adult hospital. But he was the youngest person there. You know, the whole floor was filled with elderly people. And you would sit there and hear them crying and moaning. There would always be people trying to escape. Like, truly, I'd come over and visit. He's like, oh, yeah, that old lady in room, like, 402 tried to run again. And I was just like, my goodness. But here's Andrew, this young kid who has so much joy and happiness and life. And the nurses loved him. His, you know, his therapist loved him. His, you know, all, all the like technicians just loved him because there was like a light in the darkness of that hospital because of him. And he brought that all over. Uh, there were so many kids that would reach out to him and that so many resources that he reached out to to try to just help. He wrote and he ended up writing um, a survivor's guide to cancer <laughs> and basically explaining everything in a way that someone who's young, who has cancer could, you know, lean on. 
Because what we realized is there's nothing really out there for kids his age with cancer. There's a lot for kids, like actual kids, um, and a lot for, you know, adults. But when you're 19, it's kind of this forgotten thing. And his cancer was already called the forgotten cancer. And so that could be so depressing and so, you know, detrimental to someone, but not Andrew. (laughs) He decided that that wasn't going to stop him. And if there was nothing there, then he was going to make something for people just like him. He ended up having this community of, you know, kids his age or within a couple years of him who all got diagnosed with the same cancer around the same time. And he had just like this group of friends that they leaned on each other. He just attracted friends. He was just that person. And I was so honored that I got to be there in that hospital room with him. You know, the bad days, the good days. Um. I was able to watch him learn how to walk again. What he ended up doing with his cancer is it was in his knee and he had two options. After chemo, he could either amputate his leg or he could get what is called an internal prosthetic where they would cut off, you know, basically half of his femur and insert a metal rod instead and then you know, replace the like cap of his lower leg. And then it would be his original kneecap, I believe. It just was, you know, it's it's really invasive. And it was kind of, there was no guarantee of it. And so I sat there as he battled what to do to try to save his leg or, you know, to cut his losses, literally. And... Like I said before, he was a swimmer and a diver, and he said, I want to keep my leg, and I want to be able to swim again. Because the thing with the internal prosthetic is you would never be able to run again. You would never be able to jump again. Um, There are just little things that you would never be able to do again. But I think he had come to this conclusion that that's his life was going to be if he survives cancer there are just going to be things he will never be able to do again so he got the internal prosthetic and i i don't know there's you know there's those arguments of well what ifs but what ifs are dangerous so what if he had amputated his leg would it have been different who knows but he chose the internal prosthetic and man, did he make it work. I was able to watch him do rehab with it. And at this time, you know, he had gotten his internal prosthetic and he was ending his treatment soon and he was learning how to walk. And it had been this year of up and downs where I just, through it all, we got so close to the point where we would, we would joke about attachment issues (laughs) Because if I didn't talk to him for a couple hours, I would text him and be like, oh my gosh, what's happening in your life? I feel like I haven't talked to him forever. And he was just like, this is not healthy, Annie. <laughs> this is this has come to an unhealthy point in our friendship. But man, was I grateful for it. I don't even care if it was healthy or not. <laughs> I got this job offer at the beginning of 2018 to move to Hawaii and to do an internship for a year there. And I really debated what to do. Because I didn't want to leave him. You know, I had stepped up and I felt like moving to Hawaii would be stepping out. And I didn't want to do that. And I remember having a conversation with him about it. And I said, I can't, I can't go. Like, you know, you're, you're just learning to walk again. And, you know, you're going to do all this stuff. And he just looked at me. um, And he always had such a way with words. He just looked at me and he goes, are you stupid? (laughs) I don't think well I mean compared to you I've seen your SAT score and I've seen mine so yeah I guess so um but he just he told me he goes listen I'm gonna be going back to school because that was a huge thing too is this the year 2018 took him out of college which like I had said in LA he had found his place he you know the University of Laverne he had found his people and then he had to give all of that up to go battle cancer back in San Diego And that was hard. And that was really, really hard. But 
he had won. He was on the up and up, you know, and he goes, listen, I'm going back to school, you know, in the spring and I'm not even going to be here. Why would you, you know, why would you sign up to stay here for only a couple months more and miss out on this great opportunity? And what I didn't realize then, what I realize now is that was all God's timing and God's, you know, plan for us. And luckily Andrew is a believer and he, you know, he kept a strong faith throughout all of this and leaned on God a lot, which I think is really one of the only ways to keep sanity throughout a journey like that, because our strength is not our own. And I've had a couple friends battle cancer and I don't think that people can do it on their own. I think you need outside help, (laughs) but Andrew encouraged me to go. And so I did. So I, I missed a lot, it felt like, um, from going there to having attachment issues to then moving an ocean away is hard. It's hard for two people who have come, become so attached to each other. And I would get this call one day of FaceTime from his sister and him, and he was showing me that he could walk again. I was one of the first people he showed. He video called me so he could show me. He was like, I'm going to show my parents tonight. But he walked for the first time without crutches, which was huge, which is something that I didn't know that he could do. And I don't think he knew he could do. And I felt like I missed it. But he wanted to make sure I was. I didn't. It was, it was a hard time being away in Hawaii. And, you know, come spring, he was right. He, you know, he went home, went back to the Laverne and he was able to start school again. And I had been able to see him when I came home for Christmas. And there's a video, which I'll post on the Growing Pains um, Instagram, of me running into his arms at the airport because it was the first time I got to see him standing. And it's little things like that where you really don't realize how emotional it can be until it's taken away and, you know, you get to see a glimpse of it back. Normalities like that, like standing, walking, jumping, laughing, are so precious and we take it for granted so easily until we don't have it. And so I got to see him standing and I got to hug him. And one of the things and the things I still think about is, man, he was so tall. (laughs) I had seen him in a wheelchair for a year and, you know, I would, you know, often forget that, you know, he was six something, like so tall. (laughs) And I got to give him a hug, like a real hug on no crutches, no bending down, a real hug for the first time in a year, a year and a couple months. And so there was a lot of special happy moments because at that point, he was cancer-free. And like I said, he went back to school. And I went back to Hawaii. And it was sometime in January where he called me. Because he was starting to feel a shortness of breath. He would get back in the pool and he would try to do 100, which if, if you don't know swimming, 100 is um, four laps, you know, there and back, there and back. Which is kind of you know, in for swim language, not even like a warm up. And he would do it. And he said he was just so out of breath. And he goes, okay, well, maybe I'm pushing myself too hard. So he did a 50 and he was so out of breath. And he did a 25 and he was so out of breath. And he was like, what, like what's happening? Because like I said, Andrew was an amazing swimmer and it came so naturally. Like he never practiced. And so he's like, well, that's weird. And he just started noticing that all the time. And so finally one day he calls me and he tells me I'm sitting outside on my deck and he tells me I went to the doctor and I got an x-ray on my lung and there's, they see something in it. And at that point we didn't know what it was. We didn't know anything. And he goes, I don't know what it is. It could be, you know, scar tissue. It could be, you know, all these things. He goes, but I just needed to tell someone. And I said, okay. And 
one of one of the things that is a blessing and a curse is a lot of times under pressure I can hold it together pretty well. Um, also, why I've never been able to get out of a speeding ticket can't seem to cry on command with that. <laughs> but I'm talking to him and I'm like, oh, it's okay. Like you know, let's not worry about it yet. There's so many things it could be. Like, I'm sure we're going to be okay. And if it is anything, we've done it before. We can do it again. You know, all these encouraging things. And I just hung up the phone and I cried. (laughs) I wailed. And I'm not a huge crier. And I just, like, scream, cried. I'm surprised I didn't wake up all the other (laughs) interns in the house. And I called. I tried to call my mom and she didn't answer. And I called my dad. And he's like, why are you crying? And I just sobbed and I go, I'm not ready for my best friend to die. Because at that point I knew. The thing about his cancer was already a lower end of survival rate. But if it came back, I'll look up the exact rate, but it went from something like a 30% to a 3%. If his cancer was back, there was really no chance of survival. And I, I knew that. <laughs> and so I just cried. And call it what you will, I just say it's a feeling from God. And it's something that he's given me a couple times in my life that has been really helpful. But in that instance, I knew what was going to happen. And I feel so bad for my dad to get that call. It was probably terrifying <laughs> um, because, you know, Andrew had been in my life so for so long. He wasn't just a part of my life, but my family's life, all my friends' lives. And so my parents had come out in April to visit me for Easter. So months later, months go by, and, you know, Andrew and I talk every day, and we he had told me that he was going to go, you know, he's going to a doctor. They think it's pneumonia, They all this stuff. And... There was like the week of Easter, we didn't talk a ton. And my parents come out to visit and they're acting weird. And I'm thinking, man, maybe living away from them, we're just not as close as I thought we were. Maybe my parents and I just don't get along. Like, no, that's so sad. <laughs> and it's the, the day of Easter, they sit me down at the end of the day and they tell me, Ooh, <laughs> Andrew wanted us to tell you in person. He didn't want you to find out over a phone that his cancer came back. And I just sat there and I think I was, I can't even say that I was in shock because I knew. I knew in, you know, January when he called me with that phone call that that probably came back and that the rate wasn't good. And then I just had this, this feeling in my heart of like, I just need to talk to him. I get like, I can't focus on you parents. Thank you for telling me, but I need to talk to him. And I called him and he was waiting for my call. And he's the one who told me that Annie, it didn't just come back. It's stage four. The tumor came back in my leg. It's, there's one in my lungs. There's one in my side. There's one in my pelvis. There's, it didn't come back a little bit. It came back a lot. And I kind of just sat there with him on the phone. And at this point, I think he was, you know, he had gone through the emotions. He was fine. But, no, okay, not fine, but you know what I mean. He had processed it a lot more than I had. And I didn't want to say, like, we're going to get through this or we can do it. Because I knew I had one of those feelings from God. And so I just told him, I'm so lucky to be your friend. And he goes, thanks. (laughs) And how proud I was of him and that, how strong he was. And I go, you know what? We're going to, we're going to fight it as hard as we can. He goes, yeah, we are. And he goes, and you know, like you're in this with me. And I go, oh, yep, I've signed up. (laughs) And we hang up the phone. And then I told my parents that it was stage four. They didn't know that yet. And my mom sobbed because Andrew was like a kid to her, you know. He'd been in my life practically the whole time. And so my parents wanted me to spend the night with them in their condo 
Also, what a damper of a trip to Hawaii, right? <laughs> this is They're flying here thinking, oh, we're going to visit our daughter, knowing that they have to tell me this horrible news. And my parents are expecting me to have some breakdown. And I just go, I need to go home. And they're like, okay, yeah, we can we can fly you home. And I go, no, 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 like I need to go back to my home in Hawaii. Like you need, you need to take me back to my house tonight. And they go, oh, okay. And I think they, they didn't understand. But in that moment when they told me, I felt like I was standing in front of two doors. And all I could think of the whole time when they're trying to talk to me about, you know, his mom had told us this and he told us and he wanted you to know, but he didn't want you to know over the phone or FaceTime. He wanted you to know from a person that's going to love you. And all I could think of is, did I ever pray for him? Have have I ever prayed for him? And I'm sure I have, you know. I I am a Christ follower and it's a huge part of my life and my journey. And I can't imagine me not praying for him, especially going through cancer. So I know logically I must have, but I couldn't remember an instance at all in that moment. And all I could feel is I felt like God was standing right behind me and I had two doors in front of me. And one of them, it was like, Annie, you can go home and you can try to take all of this on and push every feeling and emotion down and just try to step up and help his healing as much as possible. But you know that's going to break you and you know it's not actually going to help the way you want it to. Or you can lean on these people that I've given you for this year. I've taken you to Hawaii. I've given you these people for a reason. You can lean on them right now. And so I just stood there in front of the two doors and I looked at it and I just went, I can't, I can't do this by myself again. I can't try to take this on again. And so I went home. My parents dropped me off and I had texted all the other interns. I lived in a house of 12 people, um, six girls and six boys. And we lived and worked at this church. And I called all the ones that were home that night and I had them come up to our apartment and I sat there and they had known, you know, little whisperings of Andrew because he was going to come visit me in Hawaii. And, you know, they celebrated with me when he was cancer free. And, you know, they watched as he took his first steps with me. And these people had known who he was in my life. And I sat there and I cried in front of people, which is huge. Even I even told John, before we recorded this, I was like, yeah, okay, um, I might cry, but you know, like, just don't ignore it. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> I'm gonna try to suppress it as much as possible. And I sat in front of these 12 people. I actually think it was probably like 11 or 10. I don't know. And I just sobbed and I said, his cancer came back and I just need you guys to pray for him. And here I am asking them to pray for this, this kid who they've never met. They they don't know him, and a lot of them cried with me. And the next morning I woke up, and I didn't feel better, but I felt loved, and I felt a lot of peace. Because I think I really realized that we try to take a lot of this kind of stuff up on our own. And Andrew tried to take a lot of it on his own. And I and I know that because he would lean on me for so much of it. And he would tell me, like, I get that, you know, I can be a burden sometimes. And I get this. And I'm trying to, you know, keep everything together and keep everyone happy and, you know, hold it together. Because he just wanted to be so strong for everyone else. His family made a video of, you know, a collage of photos for him. And there's a snippet, and it's a snippet from the podcast that he did, where he talks about people pray for me, but I pray for them because, you know, God's going to give me the strength I need, but I pray that he's giving them the strength they need because this is so hard to like sit here and watch someone you love go through this because that's, that's who he was. And so he started battling cancer again. He had to move home from college again. He had to give up his life again. And he had had this goal to come visit me in Hawaii. It was his Christmas present to me, actually, is the surprise that he and one of our other friends was going to fly out 
and, you know, spend a week with me in Hawaii and it was going to be this amazing time. And we really tried to keep that goal alive. We tried to keep that something that would happen, um, but it just didn't work out because he got sick so fast. And so I flew home to visit him. Um, I surprised him and I was so grateful for that time. I walked in his door. Um, I had had such a problem with the airport and I had uh, my flight got canceled and delayed and all this stuff. And I remember just crying to this random woman. And like I said, I really, <laughs> this really, you know, pushed my vulnerability level. <laughs> I was crying to this random woman at the airport at two in the morning as my flight had finally been canceled after being delayed a million times and going, my best friend has died of cancer and I need you to get me on a flight to San Diego. <laughs> And the airline was so felt so bad that they actually bought me the first ticket out of Hawaii to San Diego the next morning for a different airline. Like they were just like, we will get you the next ticket. <laughs> and his mom had texted me when I was on my way to his house to surprise him. And it was like, just say no. He does, He's super sensitive to sound and to touch and he doesn't like people touching him because the medicine he's on, you know, has made him like just hypersensitive and he gets really tired really fast and all this stuff. And you don't realize how sick someone is until it's kind of passed. And I walked in and he was shocked. He had no idea. I was Snapchatting him a second ago and he thought I was in Hawaii and he just held me and cried and hugged me. And we had a week together. Um, and all I could look at him is just be like, wow, you look so different from the first time. And I remember the first time being like, man, he looks so sick. But everything's a perspective, I guess. And I would spend about three hours every day with him, give or take, because that's all he really could handle. Um, and come near the end of it, I knew that I wanted to talk to him about him dying because I knew that that was probably the only outcome that was going to be realistic. Andrew was told when he got re-diagnosed that there were two options for his life. He would either die or he would live forever with cancer. And that was the best outcome. There's no cure for his cancer. Um, treatments are temporary. And the idea of living forever with cancer being the best version of your life it could be just sounded horrific. So I sat with him and I talked to him about it. And I, <laughs> it's really awkward to bring up to a dying person them dying. If, if you've ever tried it, it's really uncomfortable. Um, and I talked to him and I said, hey, like, I want to I talk to you about the outcome of all this. He went, mm-hmm. Because <laughs> I know he had thought about it, but I don't know if he'd ever really talked about it. And I just presented this to him. Andrew, I want you to go home if you're called that way. And his response was, I am not done fighting yet. I go, okay, I know that. And that's great. But when you are, I don't want you to be afraid. And he brought up this whole idea of, I can't give it up yet because what would my family do? What would you guys do? It'd be so painful. And I just remembered thinking, oh my gosh, be like selfish for one second. <laughs> but he couldn't. That just wasn't who he was. He was so worried about dying because of the pain it would inflict on others. And I had to tell him, yeah, it's going to suck. And it's going to be so painful. But sitting here watching you wither away from cancer is just as painful, if not worse. Because we know that you're in pain and you know that we're in pain. 
if you're called home, you're not in pain anymore. And we can rely on that and we can lean on that. And the conversation ended with me praying over him for real. And I remember it this time and him just looking at me and he goes, I'm not done fighting yet. And I go, good. I don't want you to be done yet. Because even then I still wasn't ready for my best friend to die. And that was in the end of June. And I believe shortly after that, that the chemo he was on at that time wasn't working. He had a tricky relationship with chemo because the first time he went through it, they gave him like four times the dose they would give to a normal adult because he was so young. What I found out about cancer is that younger kids actually get a lot more chemo because their bodies can process it faster. And so for Andrew, while an average adult would get 4,000 whatever the unit is, milliliters, what I, you know, in my medical degree, I really did not study that. Uh, And he would get 20,000. They would override every single machine to give him his chemo and to administer his, you know, his drugs because they, the machine thought that they were killing him. And he had basically reached this limit of if my cancer comes back, I can never use that this chemo again or else it will kill me. He had the max dose of that chemo he could ever have in his life. So when it did come back, they had to try other options. Um, And they weren't working. And if anything, they were making him sicker, it felt like. So when I left, I remember saying goodbye to him. And we didn't say goodbye because it felt too real, and I think we both knew. And so at the end of June, I was leaving his house, and he was sitting on the couch because he couldn't really stand and get up. And I hugged him, and I was walking out, and I turned around to look at him through the door, and he just screamed, I love you. And I screamed, I love you too. And I got in my car, and I drove back home, getting ready to go fly back to Hawaii, and I think I just kind of knew my stomach that that was probably the last time I'd see him. And it was. And come September, he was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And it got to the point where he couldn't FaceTime anymore and he couldn't call and he couldn't text. And he was on hospice care and he had, his family had gotten told, like, it could be any minute. It could be two days. It could be two weeks. And then on, on September 22nd, Um, he passed away in the morning and his sister texted me and I kind of knew the day before I had woken up, I looked out my window and there's this rainbow, um, which it's Hawaii rainbow state. There's rainbows a lot, but not usually on that side of the Island and not usually where I lived. And I just kind of knew in my heart that it was coming. And I felt like it was kind of God being like, hey, like prepare yourself. And so that next morning, um, I had gotten the text from his sister that he had passed away. And so I called all of our closest friends to let them know. So that way they, you know, didn't find out over Facebook or anything. And it was the hardest day of my life, (laughs) you know. People talk about grief being painful. (laughs) Classic. (laughs) People talk about grief being painful. And I had lost a friend to cancer before. And that was extremely painful. But with Andrew, it was the first time that really felt like someone stabbed me. Um, And I just, I realized like, wow, I kind of lost a part of my life with him. That sounds so dramatic. But I remember having these conversations with him where he would look at me in the hospital and be like, we were destined to be friends. And that was true. 
And I flew back for his, for his funeral. And I remember looking at the urn he was in and going up and saying, like, my last goodbyes. Keeping it together. Keeping it together. And I had this moment walking away, looking at the hundreds of people who were there for him. And all I could think of as everyone's sitting there in black crying is, oh my gosh, look at all the people that are impacted by him. Andrew was not just my friend, but he was a friend to everyone. He loved people so well. He had this amazing way with words where he could just hit you right where you needed to hear it in the most loving way, but also that had the strongest punch. His laugh was infectious. And he was just so brilliant and so wise and wise beyond his years. And so to see the, I think it it was around like 600 people or something that came to support him that day was heartwarming. Like, it doesn't matter that it was a room of people crying. (laughs) There was just a power in it. There's a couple things that our small town, Alpine, does really well, and one of them is people battling cancer. And the community came around and rallied around his family and him so well. And you can still, you know, I was talking to one of his friends yesterday, and you can still go around our town and see Andrew won all over it. These yellow ribbons, because yellow was um, the color of his sarcoma, which is the cancer he had, is the color of his ribbon, all over. And it's hard to sit there and know that, you know, he's not with us, but he really did win. And yeah, it's painful, but like I told him, it's a lot less painful knowing that he's not in pain. And eventually, the sad memories will start to fade away, and all we'll be left with is the happy ones. But he was so impactful that he's going to come up, and he's going to be talked about, because he was a part of me, and he always will be. I cannot imagine my life without Andrew. And I know that even though he's not physically with me, he's always with me. And he's reflected in everything I do. And part of that being this podcast. And so he can tell his story a lot better than I can. And so if you want to listen more about his direct story and how cancer affected his life, I will put that in the podcast. I will link that, like I said. But Andrew made me grow a ton. Strength in the midst of pain. Friendship in the midst of hardship. Vulnerability in the midst of pride. And just joy in the midst of darkness. These these things that I've learned from him have forever changed my life for the better. And I wish that he was here today to interview him directly about it. But he is here today, and he's always here. And so I wanted to let you guys in on my journey with Andrew to let you know how powerful he's been in my life. You know, it's been one year, which is crazy. Um, It feels surreal, and I was explaining this to a Bible study I'm in on the day that he had, the anniversary of his one year, I had gone to a Bible study and we went around for prayer requests. And I, had, I'd, of course, I was like, well, it's the one year of my best friend dying, so that's great. But I explained to them this, it feels surreal because it, I can still feel him. 
I can still feel like physically what it feels like to hold his hand or stand next to him or the feeling of his hug, his voice. Um, and now when I visit him, I'm sitting at a grave site in a cemetery. And that's surreal, truly. Because it doesn't feel real if I can still feel all those other things. But, you know, I've grown so much with it and with growth comes growing pains. (laughs) And grief in itself is something that's hard to deal with. But like I said before, I don't believe that this these kind of journeys are found in human strength. I truly believe that it's something that God gives you and that is only doable because of the power of Jesus in our lives. And so what I'm going to do to end this episode is I'm actually going to pray And I would love if you guys pray along with me. Um, If not, that's up to you. I'm not in the place of trying to force religion on anyone, but I would love for you guys to spend this time with me. And so, God, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for the friendship I had in Andrew. Lord, people come into our lives for a reason, and you've made that abundantly clear. I have had an amazing lifetime with Andrew and the lessons I've learned from him, the light that he's been to so many people, how he showed your love so well and how he kept your faith was so honorable. God, I'm so grateful for you, for the strength you were able to give him and myself and his family, the wisdom that you bestowed upon him, that way he was able to share God, grief is hard. Losing a loved one is hard. And it doesn't make sense. And it's an unimaginable pain. But I just pray for growth in that. God, this whole series I give to you, I pray that you just fill this place. You know, I want this to be a reflection of your love and your strength the strength that you've been able to give me and my loved ones. God, Andrew was that strength. I pray over everyone who's experiencing loss and everyone who's experienced grief. It's unbearable, but maybe with you, it can be a little bit more bearable. We love you so much, God. Thank you for everything you've given us. Amen.